this morning I'm beginning a new uh, series called Family Matters, and it will last from Mother's Day today to Father's Day, six weeks. And during these six weeks, we're going to talk about several things related to the family. We're going to talk about how to have a good fight. How many of you have had a fight? Is this a trick question? Should I raise my hand? How many of you have ever had a fight in your home? Come on. All right. How many of you have had a fight in your home this morning? No, no, don't don't put your hand. On your way to church, that's always the greatest, right? And then you get out of your car looking all spiritual. Hey, how you doing, Pastor? We're going to have a TED Talk. Anybody know what a TED Talk is? Um, Ted Bradford is a Christian therapist. He and his family, Lisa, a couple kids, have been attending Emmanuel for a number of years. Ted, his specialty is working with parents and children, how to thrive in the home, overcome some challenges. So in a couple weeks, I'm going to interview Ted. And from a Christian perspective, he's going to talk about how to have a healthy, functional home, how to have your kids thrive. We're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about um, sermon on raising healthy kids. Holly and I next week are going to team teach together. Uh, We have some technical difficulties. I think I may have said a few weeks ago that we were actually going to do it this week, but we had to shift it back a week. But um, that'll be memorable. This morning I want to talk to you specifically related to the family about the words that we use. Change your words, change your home. Change your words, change your home. So in order to illustrate this, I'm going to ask five women, preferably moms, to come forward and squeeze some toothpaste out. I need five ladies. And the first hour, like nobody wanted to come until I said that everyone's getting a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Then they rushed the platform, right? Come on, five ladies, come on up, first five. Okay? They're running. One, two, three, four, five. I'm sorry, Patty. Sorry. Great. Now we've made something happy sad. Yeah. So, the instructions are very, very simple. You have cardboard, sheet of paper here, and the first lady, everyone's getting a gift card, but the first lady who squeezes all the toothpaste out gets a $10. Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Okay? So we're going to count to three. Ready? You've you got to pick up the toothpaste. There you go. Okay. I'm just saying, you know, you ready to go? Ready? One, two, three. Go. Whoa. Residual on the floor. Lisa, are you done? All right. Lisa got it. All right. So here you go, Lisa. Here's $10. Don't get on the gift card. Ladies, certainly. Oh, now before you go, hold on. We have, we have a little addendum here. Now you have to eat it? I didn't think about that. That could have been memorable, right? Okay, here, here it is. I have $100 for the first lady that can put it back in the tube. 
Come on. You'd rather eat it? Okay. I'm sorry, ladies. Thank you. You can be seated. That's okay. Yeah, give a hand. Okay, so why, why is it really hard to put toothpaste back in the tube? Because that's the power of words. Because once you put words out, you can never put them back in. It's like unringing a bell, right? Once the bell's rung, that's it. Words have their own energy and power. Words can heal or they can hurt. Words can encourage or they can discourage. Words can build up or they can tear down. The Bible has a lot to say about words. Pretty serious. Let me give you just a couple verses. Jesus speaking, Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word spoken. Wow. You you ever said an idle word? You ever shared too much information about someone when they weren't there that wasn't positive? How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever said, oh, I I didn't mean to say that. Or I was just kidding. Guess what? On Judgment Day, we are called into account for every single word spoken. How about this one? James chapter 3, verse 6. If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. The tongue is a flame of fire. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire, listen to this, by hell itself. Now you know what that tells me? That tells me that no one is ever perfect in what they say. Aren't you glad for forgiveness through Jesus? Because as much as we try, for as mature as we become, and hopefully the more mature we become along the pathway in our Christian walk, we'll get better at it. But i got to tell you, there's not a single person in this room, including the person you're listening to, that says perfect words all the time. I have to say I'm sorry, just like everybody else, right? Because sometimes I say things that are thoughtless, sometimes I say things that are discouraging when they should be encouraging. And so it's all about leaning on the grace of God and recognizing the power of your words. Here's one. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus says this, The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Or if you're old school, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, if you say angry things, it's because you have anger inside you. But you know what we do? We say things like, well, I wasn't angry, they made me angry. No, they just pushed your button. And the anger that's inside of you came up. Sarcastic words. That comes from a sarcastic heart. 
You know what sarcasm is? A hurt soul. Someone who's been wounded. What comes out of our heart goes through our mouth. I love this one, if, uh, Colossians 4, 6. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in our conversation. Not put them down. Not cut them out. So the goal of our words ought to be life-giving. And the more we press into Jesus as Christians, the more He wants to shape the words, and more importantly, He wants to shape our heart in which our words come from, so that eventually what comes out of our mouth is just pure life-giving. For what's building others up. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. That's the text this morning. I'm only looking at one verse of Scripture. So go to your U version on your phone, or if you uh, still have your Bible, um, and it's also up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read one verse together, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. The rest of the message is based on this verse alone. You ready? Let's read it together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay, it's so short. Let's do it again. Okay? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Would you bow your heads, please? Jesus, we need help with our words because they reflect what's in our heart. None of us is perfect. I mean, James makes that really clear. But we're on the journey to Christ-likeness. And we want to reflect who you are in our words. And Lord, as we begin this series on the family... Especially, we want to address this issue with regard to our home. Change your words, change your home. Help us, Lord, to have functional, healthy, Christ-like homes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. A little bit of context to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. The first is, it's part of the chapter 4, that's main theme. The main thing, theme of chapter 4 is unity in the body of Christ. Now, remember the Apostle Paul was writing from prison to a new little family called the church. How many, of you ever, how many of you can remember that song that was sung back in the 80s? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Everything applied to the Ephesian church, everything that the Apostle Paul says is applied to the church body, the family of God, but listen, it's also applied to your family and my family. And chapter 4 is the section on unity 
unity in the family. So the Apostle Paul begins to talk about in chapter 4 the things that create unity and the things that destroy unity. And then he gets to verse 29 and says, now let's talk about the things that we say. And what he's really saying is, the things that you say have the power and energy to create unity in your home, or they have the power and energy to destroy unity in your home. One more thought in terms of context. Verses 17 through 30, remember, we're at 29, so 17 through 30 is actually the section within the, cha- within the chapter on unity, but it's the section that talks about the importance of having the Holy Spirit guide you in your everyday life. So here's what you need to know. You and I need the Holy Spirit to help us when it comes to the things that we say. Because this is not a message on self-improvement. This is not a message on just try to do better. This is a message about asking the Holy Spirit to fill you so that the words that come out of your mouth come from a pure heart so that you don't say things that are destructive or that kill relationships. You only say the things and that God puts, he puts his guard on your heart. How many of you have ever prayed, oh God, put a guard on my words today so that just before I say them, there's a little catch that goes, should I say that? That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's talking about being so filled with the Holy Spirit that when you're about to say something that you know you shouldn't say, there's a catch. Very few times have I regretted things I didn't say. But I personally have had a whole lot of regret over the things I did say and then tried to walk them back like putting toothpaste back in the tube. You can't do it. Apostle Paul says three things about our words in this one verse. The first is this. We need to avoid all negative, hurtful, and abusive words. Look at what he says. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. Before science could prove it, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul understood the devastating impact of hurtful, negative, abusive words in the home. Now, whether we want to admit it or not, the Apostle Paul tells us something that we... He tells us some bad news. Right? But we just got to own it. We're in control of our words the vast majority of the time. I I don't like admitting that. I want to say, well, they made me mad. When in reality, do not let any unwholesome talk... It's, you're in control, and I'm in control. There may be moments, because we're not perfect, that we're not in control, but those are actually few and far between. We have chosen certain phrases, we have chosen certain words that we know are trigger phrases, or buttons, or just the way that we talk, and we expect other people to just accept that, but if those are hurtful, abusive words, we've got to back it up and go, wait a minute. Those aren't life-giving. One of my heroes is Dr. John Gottman. He founded the Gottman Institute, and he is one of, if not the most, foremost marriage and family researcher in the country. Founded the Gottman Institute, and his specialty is marriage. Now, what I'm about to say about marriage can be applied to everybody in the home, 
but his focus is on marriage. Interestingly, he's an old man now, so he's been doing this for decades, but he's a researcher. And what he did over the last 30, 40 years is he developed the fine-tuned skill of trying to figure out who who was going to get divorced and not. And what he discovered is this. Through his years of studying how couples speak to one another, he could, with a 90% accuracy, determine if you were going to get a divorce in the next several years. Blow your mind. Here's, Here's what he did. He called literally hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of couples, just asked them, sat them down, he videotaped them. They knew it. But he sat them down and he gave them a problem to solve. And then he set the tape on record and he listened to how they talked to each other. And within 15 minutes, he could say, that that couple's getting a divorce in the next several years. Or that couple's not. 90% accuracy. What was the magic? The magic is this. He discovered in his research that there's a magic 5 to 1 ratio of positive to negative interaction. That healthy, safe, happy marriages had at least a 5 to 1 ratio where they talked positively and interacted positively and said positive things to each other. Remember, he gave them a problem to solve. So this is in the middle of conflict. If the ratio was less than 5 to 1, if it dipped down to 3, if it dipped down to 2, if in the 15 minutes of videotaping, he would record, if the ratio was 1 to 1, he was like, they're getting a divorce. And he was 90% accurate. And he followed each of these hundreds of couples nine years. Boom. Accurate. The power of our words. What we end up saying. Now, his study went a little bit further. He said that there are four kinds of interactions that he called, you ready for this? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. He chose a New Testament term. And he says that there's four things that couples do that absolutely destroy their relationship. Here they are. The first is criticism. You know, just plain old-fashioned criticism. The second is contempt. Okay, what is contempt? Contempt is a feeling of someone being beneath you, disrespecting another. Okay, look at my face. You know what contempt is? That's contempt. Whatever. That's contempt. It's blowing someone off and disrespecting them. Third, defensiveness. Defensiveness in a marriage is like, you know, hey, can I sit down and talk to you about this? Whoa, what do I do again? Right? That's, That's one of the four horsemen. Okay? The fourth is more subtle, but it's just as devastating. Stonewalling. 
Stonewalling is when you refuse to give a straight-up answer to a question. You evade it. Now, kids have PhDs in stonewalling. You ever notice that? Did you leave the refrigerator door open? What refrigerator? <laughs> well, I, um, I, you know, I, Johnny was in there too. Uh, you can't get a straight answer. It just keeps going around the barn. Right? Criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Remember, St. Augustine said, all truth is God's truth, no matter where it comes from. Never be afraid of truth. Even if it comes from ungodly places, truth is still truth. Okay? So let's take those four horsemen of the apocalypse. Listen to Proverbs 18.21. Words kill. Words give life. They're either either poison or fruit. You choose. As best you can, as you press into the Lord, as you seek to have the Holy Spirit transform you, get rid of all negative, destructive, abusive words. They only kill. Yeah, but that's all I have to do to, say, to, to, get, to uh, get my child to get motivated. Stop. You know that there's a difference between a short-term result and a long-term result. The short-term result is if you raise your voice, if you end up saying things that are hurtful, abusive, harmful, you may actually get what you want in the moment. But that doesn't mean it's changed their heart. It just creates resentment. Number two, the Apostle Paul says, choose only positive, helpful, and encouraging words. But only what is helpful for building others up. In other words, our conversation is not so much about being heard as it is about understanding the other person and having their needs be elevated. Proverbs 16.24 says, Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Notice in that proverb the physiological effect that words have on our bodies. I've watched people through the years that were in highly dysfunctional relationships get beaten down verbally and emotionally, and then they started having all these mysterious illnesses that nobody could put their finger on. I've also been blessed to watch families that have been transformed by Christ And the cloud of sin has lifted and people really began pressing into the Lord and they really began this sanctified life which means real life change in Jesus. And I've watched parents and spouses really take to this idea of changing their words, changing their homes and I've watched mysterious illnesses go away. And I've watched people who were beaten down emotionally and with words I've watched them begin to blossom. They walk straighter. They smile more. 
the mysterious illnesses disappear. Words kill. Words destroy. Words give life. Words are either poison or fruit. They are sweet to the soul, healthy for the body. Again, Gottman's research shows that there are not only four horsemen of the apocalypse. Listen to this. He said there are seven things in his research. Remember, all truth is God's truth. Seven things in his research to create a a safe, healthy, wholesome, happy home. Here's the seven. Being genuinely interested in what your partner is feeling by listening. We are not living, brothers and sisters, in an age of listening. We are listening, uh, we, we are living in an age of words, and particularly in a political climate at this moment, through Facebook or through politics, people are feeling free for whatever reason to rant. All the time. We watch our president making fun and degrading people. And we watch other politicians doing the exact same thing. I suppose in some ways it's always been like that. I just see it being more pervasive and more ramped up. We're not listening to each other. I thought it was interesting. You know the uh, actor Kirk Douglas? is now 102 years old. His wife, two weeks ago, turned 100. So they interviewed his wife, Anna, and just talked about their marriage and so forth. Um, And then she said something that I found very fascinating because it has to do with this whole idea of listening. Well, she said that... um, I gave Kurt on his 100th birthday an iPad. Every night we have always had what we call our golden hour, around 6, 6.30, for about an hour. We just talk about our day. We just kind of like one-on-one. And then we have dinner. But nowadays he takes his iPad And I take my iPad and we just scroll through the internet and look up CNN or whatever and we don't talk. One of the ways that we create a a safe, healthy home is being genuinely interested in the other person, and not being distracted, but really hearing what the other person is saying. Our general superintendent, if you were here last week, uh, David Busick, he uh, spoke on grace and peace. And I don't know if you noticed anything about Dr. Busick, but um, he has mastered the fine art of listening. In that, whenever you talk to him, he'll just linger and look at you. Hey, 30 years ago, a lot of people did that. 30 years ago, we looked people in the eye. Today, not so much. All I'm saying is, what Gottman is saying is, his research is, if you want a happy, healthy home, listen actively, engage and have genuine 
appreciation. Number two, expressing affection. I like this part. Expressing affection to one another leads to a safe, happy, healthy home. But in marriages, the importance of expressing affection to one another, that doesn't necessarily lead to something else. You know where I'm going with that? Okay, all the women are like, yes. I want a hug for a hug's sake. Nothing more. Okay? Three, Gottman talks about the power of small. Here's what he means. Little routine acts of kindness, like putting toothpaste on your spouse's toothbrush, maybe you don't want to use this toothpaste, or doing the dishes without being asked, or going and getting, getting gas in the car and bring it back. You know, little acts that are part of your routine that actually build up and create an environment of safety and happiness. Four, intentionally focusing on the positive of your spouse. Guarantee you, here's what happens. Before you're married, you focus on all of your spouse's strengths, and you happen to see, you know, some little minor things that irritate you. After you're married, it flips. I'm just telling you. The things that were so wonderful and positive about your spouse, now they're like this. Okay? And the things that were minor irritations for you, now they're like this. Right? It's the, cumul- the accumulative effect. You know what Gottman says? There comes a point in every marriage where you have to make an intentional decision that you will focus on the positives the vast majority of the time. Number five, apologizing. Apologizing. You want a healthy, happy home? Learn to apologize. And don't, don't wait for the other person. See, here's what we do, right? I mean, I, I hate this, right? I even see this in myself. Is that, you know, like, I'll wait for, for somebody to apologize to me. And I'm not going to apologize if they're not going to apologize. And well, they did it first. They're, they're, they're more, you know, they're more at, at fault than I am. And so we, we begin to do this game in our head where they're like 60% more responsible than we are. So therefore, because they're 60%, they should apologize first. Here's the deal. Your family, other people are thinking you're 60%. So nobody ever apologizes. Stop. Let the words roll off your tongue. I'm sorry. I did not mean to say it like that. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? All we have, brothers and sisters, is confession and repentance and moving on. And Couples and, and, and family situations that are healthy say I'm sorry a lot. And don't get caught up with this idea that, well, if you're really sorry, you wouldn't have done it to begin with. Oh, that's helpful. Because you married a sinner. And your spouse is living with one too. I'm not being smart. I'm just saying we have to be humble about this. Two more, real quick. What makes a happy home that is safe and healthy is having a good sense of humor. Remember, Gottman got these research um, analysis from studying couples that were dealing with conflict situations. In other words, 
don't get so intense in the middle of an argument that you can't have a sense of humor about it. Humor pops the bubble. And it resets it. Lastly, accepting your spouse's perspective on things, whether you agree with them or not. One of the great phrases that we ought to add to every marriage and every home is this. I forgot what it was. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. I remember what it is. Well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. Hey, between the two of you, if you're married, between the two of you, you're going to have lots of things that you disagree over, and that's okay. And a lot of marriages are really about one trying to impose their will on the other and trying to persuade the other to do things or see things from their perspective. It's okay to disagree and still move on. It's okay to live with some major disagreements and say, we're probably never going to see eye to eye on this, but it's not going to stop me from loving you. It's not going to stop. I'm not going to. I'm not going to withdraw emotionally from you. We're just going to have to agree to disagree on this. Woo! That's revival. It's okay. Number three, remember, work really hard on letting go of all negative, disrespectful, abusive words. Try really hard to have everything come out of your mouth according to their needs. Develop specific words and phrases that uniquely fill each other person's needs. The Apostle Paul ends verse 29 by saying, according to their needs, listen, that it might benefit those who listen. How can specific words and phrases that build others up, how can you develop specific words and phrases that will help you build other people up, listen, according to their needs. Now we're talking specifically about the home, right? It has to do with, do you know the people you're living with? Do you actually know their own temperament, their own personality, their own perspective? I'm grateful to Kathleen Edelman, who just came out with a new resource called, I Said This, You Heard That. It, it actually is a teaching from North Point Church, Andy Stanley's church. So it's a new DVD series. I bought it. I went through it. So if there's a small group that wants to do it, maybe this fall or this summer, have at it. We, I, I have it. I said this, you heard that. And it's based, Christian perspective, it's based on the four personality types. Now, I'm sure pretty much everybody in this room knows that there are four personality types in the world today. Sanguine, choleric, melancholy, melancholic, and phlegmatic. These are the ancient four personality or temperaments. Okay? Now, you're always two of the four. There's a dominant, and then there's a submissive, a tertiary. And so 
I'm a combination of one dominant choleric and one tertiary, and that is melancholic. I have a lot of melancholy in me, okay? Holly is a sanguine melancholic, and so when we get in a bad spot, usually it's both of our melancholics coming out, okay? So did you know that you're married to somebody, chances are that's different than you? And they have a different temperament and they have a different personality. Your kids, God has wired your kids probably similar to you, but having some differences. Okay? So quickly, let me just give you the definitions of the four personalities and the unique needs that they have. Here they are. Sanguines are extroverts, bubbly personality types, inspiring, and very charismatic. But they have some downsides. They usually talk too much. They, are, they exaggerate. They interrupt others. They are usually forgetful and naive. Sanguines manipulate by charm and flattery. Cholerics are responsible leader type people. They're good at delegating and managing things. But their downsides are they're argumentative, They can dominate or come across too harsh. I see that in myself. They have a tendency to be bossy and impatient. Cholerics manipulate with tone and volume. Melancholics are analytical and creative. They're perfectionistic. They're orderly and they're detailed. The downsides to melancholics are that they fear failure, usually have low self-esteem, can remember the negatives, have a tendency to be judgmental and critical. Melancholics manipulate with moods and silence. Phlegmatics are easygoing, steady, calm, patient, loyal, and good listeners. Their downsides are that they can respond to stress by being slow and stubborn, avoid conflict, disengage, and become too compromising. Now, who are you? Chances are you identify with at least two of the four. Second question. If you're married, what's your spouse's temperament? And if you have kids, what are their temperaments? Did you know that each personality has a set of needs and a, listen, listen, a language they need? Your job is to learn the language of your spouse and to learn the language of your kids. So here they are. Sanguines need a lot of approval, acceptance, attention, and affection, which means that they thrive with lots of positive affirmation and compliments and just being noticed. Cholerics need loyalty, appreciation, credit for their work, and they have a high need for a sense of control. Which means that cholerics thrive on statements like, hey, I have your back. Or, I value your contribution. Or, you did a great job. Melancholics need safety, security, support, and space, and silence. Which means they thrive on not talking a lot. 
Don't put your value judgment on it, good or bad, right or wrong. It's just melancholics don't mind silence. Melancholics don't mind a rainy day on Mother's Day. Oh, it's wonderful. The rest of us are like, really? It was 75 degrees and sunny yesterday. Why does it have to rain on Mother's Day? Okay? Melancholics thrive when they hear words like, I trust your judgment on this. I understand where you're coming from. I know you've thought this through. Thanks. Phlegmatics need harmony, feelings of worth, lack of stress, and respect, which means they thrive when asked questions like, what are your thoughts on this? Because phlegmatics aren't going to be assertive and tell you their thoughts. They're going to wait until you ask them their thoughts. Or, I appreciate your steadiness. Or, I really respect your perspective on this. Okay. You have people in your family that have unique personality needs. And your job and my job is to build them up according to their needs, not according to our needs. Remember the book, The Five Love Languages? You know, every, every person has one of, at least one of the five love languages. You know what happens? is that when you try to give your spouse or your children something according to your own love language, not their love language. You give somebody a gift card for $50, for you, you'd like a gift card for $50. For somebody that, you know, acts of service is their love language, great, I got a gift card. That means they forgot until the last moment they had to run out to shop right. <laughs> right? You have to build people up according to their needs. Okay. I have um, many blank cards on the altars this morning, and here's my challenge to you. I invite you to pick up two cards. One for somebody in your home, and one from somebody out. It could be at church, it could be at work, it could be at school, wherever it is. And here's my homework. Write a nice, encouraging card to someone in your home or at church or work or someplace else and write it from the perspective of what do they really need to hear. Not even what do I want to say, but what would be helpful for them to hear. Because we're not to let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only what is acceptable or meaningful for building others up, listen, according to their needs. Would you stand, please? Remember, you need the Holy Spirit to help you. You need the Holy Spirit to give you the kind of heart to say, I'm going to think about how my words impact other people. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, you give us so many life-giving words. You give us words that come from your heart to our heart that maybe nobody else ever speaks to us. But we love to hear them because they build us up. Thank you. 
Lord, as we um, step out into a world that you've called us to represent you, I pray this week that our words would not be tearing down abusive, hurtful, harmful, but our words would be building others up, life-giving, positive, and that we would do it with a mind of, what does that person need from me to hear? So God, help us to change our words, to change our homes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great rest of the day, Mother's Day. Remember to get your cards. Come on up.